You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion across the autism community. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky, and I'm thrilled to welcome David Geslacker, Coach Dave, to the podcast to talk with us about the importance of making exercise fun for those on the spectrum. Coach Dave is the founder and president of Exercise Connection. With nearly 20 years of experience helping kiddos with autism exercise, he knows that children on the spectrum learn differently and need adapted physical education that makes exercise fun and engaging. His more recent projects include the development of an app called Exercise Buddy and a training course for clinicians that educate them on how to help individuals on the spectrum reap the benefits of physical exercise. Coach Dave is one of the leading experts in the subject of autism and exercise, and we're so excited to learn about all of this from him today. Coach Dave, welcome to the podcast. Jeff, awesome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Excited to talk. Yeah. So I'm just looking back at your background, Coach Dave, I know that uh, you started your career at the University of Iowa, and all I think about is the Iowa wave, that connection with children, and oftentimes the empowerment of them. But tell me about, you know, kind of where you started and what brought you into this field, because it's a unique path. Yeah. So as you said, I, I went to the University of Iowa and my degree, the degree I left with was the degree of health promotion. I'm an, exor- I'm an ACSM exercise physiologist and what's called the National Strength and Conditioning Association Strength and Conditioning Specialist. So I spent um, my senior year, summer of my senior year, I went to work at an in, as an intern at Iowa football um, as a strength and conditioning coach. And I was actually then one of the only interns at that time that stayed on for my fifth year, but as a, an assistant, a student assistant strength and conditioning coach. Um, and there's a story here behind this, but I, once I graduated, I left Iowa football. Um, and I, within nine months, I had started my own gym out here outside of Chicago. And the gym at the time, this was in 2004, was meant for children. Uh, but to keep the doors open, I still train athletes, adults, and whatnot. But a dad I was training brought me his son who was on the autism spectrum. And he said to me, can you teach him sports? but he also, he can't skip. And many people know, but for those who don't, a neurotypical child that can skip is shown better to read than a child who cannot. So I was more intrigued in the skipping because that's one thing that I did learn in my undergrad. But when you talk about autism um, back then in 2004 and exercise science or exercise physiology, it wasn't talked about. Um, but I did know, obviously, at that time, it was 1 in 150 diagnosed. So the long story short is I was able to get this boy to skip in four sessions. And I had come to find out, as his parents are crying, as his smile is ear to ear, that he had been trying for years. 
And the reason the connection back to Iowa football was I was in charge of the incoming freshmen and typically, and I had to reteach them the bench, the squat, the power clean, all these Olympic lifts and these things that are usually focused on quantity, not quality of movement. And the way that I was taught there at Iowa football was to break it down. And, and, and to think of like now, 17 years later, like task analysis, right? So I did that for this boy, Joseph, and that moment changed my life and changed my career path and obviously changed his and his family's. But lastly, what I've learned now, 17 years later, is that while I did teach him differently, there is no question that the PT, the OT, the developmental therapist, the ABA therapist, the PE or APE teacher all had a role there, right? In his development, as we know, it takes some of these kids or adults time to learn new concepts or movements or complex movement patterns. So there's no question. And that's why I know you mentioned it, but that's why I, I, I've been trying to since then, not that this was all planned, but educate more people about the role exercise can play in this community's life. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I always find this very interesting. And the fact that you walk down a certain path, you worked with high, high, high caliber athletes, and the same application of how to be able to motivate or how to be able to engage, it's, it's not so dissimilar working with people that might be differently able but it took that reach that you did to say, you know what, I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to educate myself on it. But then the passion bleeds through. It's, wow, I hit this family differently. So as you've worked through this and as you've started to kind of progress this journey to make this a specialty, how have families responded? I know this family was, I mean, they were touched completely, but how are other families seeing this benefit and this correlation between exercise and the rest of their treatment? Oh, I've got a great quote that I just wrote in an article that I can share for one family that I worked with for a number of years. Um, but I think when first starting exercise, many families thought of exercise as physical education or adapted physical education, not and, and, and it can be, right? And it, and it often is. But then other families, I think, because of early intervention and the challenges and all the things that they're trying to align for their kids, right, that, that exercise is, is never at the forefront. Or they think it comes in PT or OT, which it does. But what some parents, right, especially those younger parents, don't realize or recognize is that PT or OT eventually end. Goals are met. Sometimes insurance runs out. But often these kids or adults are still going to need some sensory integration, some movement outside of just the health-related benefits, right, that exercise provides. But it has some uh, significant research behind the, the benefits to autism and stereotypical behaviors. But the other thing that parents have said to me early on was when, when I was working with their kids and I would pick them up or they would come and pick their kids up, the, I, I remember vividly the one parent saying, well, he's not sweating. What did, what did I, you know, what did I just pay for? And I said, that's sometimes that's people's perceptions of exercise. 
they have it's it's not the biggest loser. It should never be, quite frankly. But for those on the spectrum or those with disabilities, no, we have to build the relationship, right, to engage them in something that is significantly challenging for not just them, but quite frankly, all of us, right? And 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 sometimes often the most unsensory friendly environment like a school gym or a fitness center. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that you point that out because when I think about the benefits for exercise, especially for a child who um, identifies autistic, is I'm thinking about some of those other benefits. I'm thinking about the cognitive benefits. Is that if somebody learns to be able to use their body in certain ways, that opens up social opportunities. It's organization and planning. It's executive functioning. You've been working on this for a while. You've been kept up on the research. So give me some some guidance here on you know what exactly you're seeing as the value of exercise, especially when it comes to children on the spectrum. Yeah. So again, Jeff, I mean, Jeff, you're right on about what you said earlier about cognitive social impact, um, but it also it can exercise is shown to reduce stereotypical behaviors. With, which I'll get to in, in detail here in a second, but also um, on, improve on-task behaviors. And I think what many parents don't recognize is that it goes beyond, or, or um, even sometimes clinicians or um, school districts, is that it goes beyond the health-related benefits. So, and, and I give one example is I was leading um, in my therapeutic day school, I had an average class size of 12 and one of the admins would always come by and one time they came by and they're like, what are you doing? They're not doing anything. And I was warming them up for yoga by literally having, letting them have a calm body, right? So they would lay on the ground for about five minutes. Remember, some of these kids are coming from lunch, PT, OT, all collapsing into this group class and they were overstimulated. I, and I said to her, I said, I just got 12 kids to do what some people are trying to do with one, have a calm body, right? Um, but, but lastly, I think the most significant part of the research that I've seen that came out in 2017 out of Rutgers is that they found that 10 minutes of low to moderate intensity exercise was able to reduce stereotypical behaviors for the next 60 minutes specifically echolalia and hand flapping. And why is that so significant? Well, there's previous research that typically talks about um, high intensity exercise, which again is important, right? But for the majority of that I've seen of those on the spectrum, you're not gonna, many professionals, parents or clinicians are not gonna get them to have their heart rate above 80% max. But if we can find ways Realistic expectations, 10 minutes of exercise, whether you're a parent, a clinician, or an exercise professional, to introduce exercise in that way and then have reductions in behaviors and, and get them the health, you know, the health benefits too, it's a win-win-win. Yeah, we need it. We need an echo chamber for that argument. I, it seems so logical. And when you look at a lot of the research that schools are using right now, it's saying, you know, having that that break during recess, incorporating physical activity into the classroom becomes valuable. Yet, 
you look at the IEP process and you see sometimes they're trying to incorporate treatment during instead of exercise, instead of recess. It's like there's got to be a counterbalance there. And that, that I guess, brings me to a, a bigger concept of how do you embed the exercise? How do you embed physical activity into all aspects of, of treatment? A lot of children who identify autistic, they have treatment plans that go 30 hours a week and you need exercise. So how do you work with ABA treatment teams to be able to incorporate it? Yeah, so I've worked with with a number of professionals side by side and, you know, follow their lead, right? Like they know in, in the one scenario or one case I'm thinking of, they knew the client or their, you know, their kid that they were working with better than I did. So I've looked at their model, right? How are they? They were basically doing a task followed by a reinforcement, a task followed by a reinforcement. So then what I did is I said, all right, after two to three tasks, let's add another or after two or three reinforcements, let's add a task of an exercise and then add a reinforcement. But that reinforcement was still related to exercise, but not a the right word, not very demanding of an exercise, something that was calming, but not putting any excess demands. So that's one way that I would do it working privately um, with with that individual and with that ABA therapist. Um, The thing is that I try to educate people on is, look, don't change your structures, your teaching protocols. But what I want to educate them on is those exercises that can be added and implemented in there that for, let's just say, an ABA professional who doesn't have an exercise background, that's okay. What I typically say is teaching exercise to someone with autism is 75% understanding autism, 25% understanding exercise. And that makes makes a lot of sense. And and I just thinking through and, and knowing myself, is that starting an exercise journey is just as hard as maintaining it. And um, we, we can't keep reliving our, our New Year's resolutions <laughs> every single week is that, you know, we have to create a new habit. We have to create a new structure. And for children with autism is that oftentimes there's interfering factors. There is the sensory part that sometimes it's just it's uncomfortable to be doing some of these. There's the motor part where sometimes the skill set can be frustrating because I don't know how to coordinate my body in the same way. And everybody's different. But how do you work past that part? How do you help somebody? And I think you hit on it earlier saying that it's about relationship. But how do you do that when you're trying to be able to get somebody engaged in the process of starting exercise? Yeah. So it's funny, a lot of people said this, you said this in the intro, and I get it, but, you know, to make exercise fun, you see in the community, you see in the um, the all well-intended, right, all well-intended programs for those with disabilities, but join our fun exercise program. It's Let's be honest, it's not fun. If it was, we wouldn't have the obesity levels that we would for all of us, let alone those on the spectrum. So it takes one, building the relationship, but two, my 
philosophy behind when you're starting to engage, whether it's your client, your student, or your child, is persistence, not perfection. Yeah, there's sensory, there's motor, there's there's challenges there, but but remember, a lot of these kids get a lot of and adults get a lot of demands on them day in and day out. Sometimes six hours a day with a paraeducator, which I was one, at their hip. So if we're going to constantly correct them, right, it, when they start, it's not going to make it fun, right? And they're going to, it's going to be seemed as like anything else that they may be involved with. And again, all well intended from those professionals that are doing it. I get it. But what you said, sensory, motor, environmental challenges, we can't put those big demands on. Trust me, from an exercise physiology perspective, I get it. I know it's important to have your hips here or your knee here. But when we're starting or when you're starting, if you're a parent listening, just work to 10 minutes, just work to 10 minutes, make it fun. You, the parent, the professional, you're the one who's going to make it fun, not advertising, saying it's a fun class. What else is going to make it fun is implementing evidence-based practices, which doesn't happen. In, I, always, I always get caught, which often is not happening in many exercise or uh, physical education environments. Not all, but many. I've traveled the country, I've traveled the world, and I'm teaching evidence-based strategies. If you can implement those the way you do in the classroom or in, a, in a, a therapy session, it's that same approach brought to exercise. And if you know how they communicate, that's going to make it more fun for them. No, the the idea that you just presented, it's a, maybe it's a light bulb moment for me, but maybe it's something that others need to start looking at. It's, it's the sporadic interjection of exercise, and it doesn't have to be prolonged, but it, it should have the same benefits. When you're talking about reducing some of those interfering behaviors, the stereotypical behaviors, you had mentioned hand flapping as one of them, but it, it could be a variety of things, mm -hmm. is that the more you utilize exercise throughout the day in those small doses, is that you might actually create a longer period where the child's able to maintain without the interference of those other behaviors, preventing them from learning other skills. Is that is that what you're kind of pushing through when you're in your exercise connection and in exercise buddy? Are, are there tenants that that are kind of followed within that within your programs that help to guide on these principles? I think I follow your question or your thought, but can you ask it another way? Yeah, so, and, I mean, you, you hit on the fact that doing lower dosage or less intense exercise has equal or at times even more value. Mm -hmm. right, is that embedded into the structure of your programs? Yeah, uh, absolutely, 100%. Um, I focus on, well, one, I focus also on movement first and sport second. Why? Because again, what I want parents to really understand is, yes, sport can be for some of your children. They may want to be an athlete. They may want to do soccer, baseball, whatever it is. But what I found across the spectrum is many don't want to play sports. 
And the problem is with some, not all, but some physical education curriculums are driven around sport. And sport also, sport involves two of the most challenging things for those with autism, communication and social skills. So if we put them in that environment in the schools, and, and that's a challenge, we know for a majority, you're setting them up for failure. And they're not going to be able to reduce those behaviors, improve on tests, let alone get the health benefits. So that's another key key is to what you said, Jeff, right? Lower intensity to start, lower duration, but that can always be increased. And we've seen that time and time again. And then focusing on movement-based exercises or individualized exercise, Jeff, right? Like you or me may go to the gym, put on our headphones and do something. Someone on the autism spectrum can do it as well. But it's harder for you and me, Jeff, to go play a five and five pickup game of basketball or go play baseball right now. Mm-hmm. Now, and that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and we're in a world where you're trying to sneak in exercise during gap times of the day. And it's no different for a child who has a very structured day mm-hmm. to an adult who has work and other commitments. And in, in, our world as adults is that we have those fitness apps that are out there that we can utilize to be able to kind of keep us motivated and structured. Sounds like you've built one that's more focused towards the child. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about exercise buddy, because I think that that could be that, that gap that, that makes accessing exercise that much easier for these children. Absolutely. But I think one thing before I talk about that is what you said about structure and time. What I really want parents, clinicians, and people always remind, remember is, yeah, just it doesn't have to start at 60 minutes, right? Start with 10. Maybe they do it in the morning before they get on the bus. Maybe the therapist or, or you remind them, hey, when they get off the bus and they're stimulated, do five minutes of exercise. Then they do it when they get home. Right. But yes, we created um, Exercise Buddy, which now has seven independent supporting research studies and, and essentially also built in six evidence based practices. Technology aided instruction is one of them, an app, right, or a device. But the rest is all those teaching structures that many of those with autism and the clinicians, the parents, or the therapists are used to using. But we just put that in the form of an app um, and, again, are very thankful that we, we started with a lot of university um, PE and APE professors implementing it in their curriculum and in research. But I, I am also most excited about there is one BCBAD doctorate level out of Ball State, and she's done three research studies with Exercise Buddy. But more importantly, she's using exercise in her studies with her client or with her students in the ABA world, which I don't understand, but you guys understand, right? But that is what's more that I am just so excited about, because I think if we can bridge that gap and bring exercise to the ABA and the clinicians, I think many are going to see, wow, this, this really can have an impact on what my goals are for my clients or my my students. Uh, it's a, another example of how it truly takes a, a village to be able yeah. to empower a child. And um, I, I really appreciate all this information that you're providing because I think that it's going to guide clinicians, it's going to guide schools, it's going to guide families. 
But in order to do that, they need your information. So and where where can people go to, to be able to kind of learn more from you and to be able to access some of the materials that you've created alongside research and alongside uh, some of the other university? Yeah. So it's easy. ExerciseConnection.com. Just spell exercise right. A lot of people spell it wrong. <laughs> E-X-E-R-C-I-S-E. Connection, the singular um, dot com. But yeah, we've got everything there for parents, professionals, um, or, or schools. Well, we appreciate it, Dave. And, you know, this is something I definitely would like to make sure that our clinical team truly understands and is able to incorporate into the treatment. So uh, you might have another person reaching out to you pretty soon as well. But uh, I appreciate your time today and and everything that you're doing for the field. Jeff, again, I appreciate you guys reaching out and giving me this opportunity because uh, this has been my mission for the last 17 years and it was a tough one. I know for everyone, the last couple, but we're still here and, and we know we've got things that can help um, parents and professionals alike. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting ABS Kids. Dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.